If you guys don't have a way to read scripture with us, you can go to the Read Scripture app on your phone. If you don't have a smartphone, good for you. You are not addicted to the screen and you are holding out. We're so proud of you. Um, and, if, and if I'm talking to you, there's a Bible in the seat in front of you and I encourage you to follow along with us. We're in the book of Revelation. We're doing this series called All I Do Is Win and it's not about all we do is win. It's about the one who we follow, the Lamb which as you just read, even when war goes against the lamb, all he does is win. So this is what we're doing. This scripture uh, that we're going through tonight is in the book of Revelation chapter 17 and 18. I just want to preface it with this. I'm really, really passionate about what we're going to talk about tonight, but I also know that this is going to be new for some of you. So the, I did not, well, Revelation might be new for you. And we joke like, hey, if this is your first time at Discover, you're like, oh, Churches actually preach in the book of Revelation still. That was back when I was a kid. No, we're doing it because it starts off by saying this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We believe that that's what we want to study is the person of Jesus. But I just want you to know what we're talking about could be different for you. It could be new for some of you. And I would encourage you because the only way we grow is that we encounter things that would conflict with what we think we already know and that Jesus would grace, uh, graciously bring us along. And he would transform our hearts. And so if this is new, what we're going to talk about, then I would say it's okay. Sometimes experiencing new things and reading scripture that we wouldn't normally read is really, really healthy to do. So I don't know if you remember learning how to read a map, not like, not your map on your phone, Google Maps. You don't have to read anything on Google Maps, okay? You just, where do you want to go? And then whoever the voice is of the lady who's making billions of dollars talks to you, okay? But like a map map, there are symbols on a map, and the symbols tell you, here's the symbol for a mountain range, and here's the N stands for, did you guys read a map? Did you ever learn how to read a map? The S stands for, okay, yeah, yeah, we can go east, west, all this stuff. So, you know, there's symbols, there's symbols, symbols for a city, for a stream. If you used a map to get to where you're going, and then you looked specifically for those symbols, so then you're like, okay, Where's that, where's that mountain? See the symbol? Where is that here? And you're looking around. The real things right in front of you, the symbols were used to get you there. This is what Revelation's like. It's a map saying this is what's going on. Here's the lay of the land from heaven's perspective. See, it's as if you tore the veil between earth and heaven. And we're seeing, and if you're like, where are all the symbols? Where's all this going to happen? Where are, where's the beast? And where's the dragon? And where's, well, that's, it's not literal. It's a symbol to point you towards the real thing, what's actually taking place. So if that helps you think about Revelation, good. Think about it in that way. Um, so tonight we're going to read about prostitute, a beast, and the prostitute riding on a beast. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's symbol, okay? It's symbol. Let's pray. Bless you, Lord. Help us all to grow closer to Jesus tonight. I pray over Discover Church, myself, as part of this community. I just um, ask that your spirit would help us to be honest. Holy Spirit, we invite you here. May we respond with genuine hearts to be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, all I do is win. Here's the chapters. Now, um, I'll start off by telling you this. When Lisa and I were dating, we went to a place called Medieval Times, okay? And some of you are going, yeah, and others of you are like, this, what is Medieval Times? 
It's not where you like dressed up like, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to like dressing up like a knight and then going, I mean, that'd be super cool. But it wasn't that, okay? You walk into this castle and you sit down and you cheer for a team, blue team, red team, white team, yellow team. I think those were actually the four teams. And then there's a knight that it has that flag and you're cheering for them. And it's all, you know, it's not a real fight. I kind of wish it was, but it was just fake. It's like the sword goes by him and he flies backwards and you're like, oh, it doesn't look real, but we'll just cheer anyways. But you walk into this kingdom. And by the way, the food that you'd have at uh, medieval times was horrible. It's just a turkey leg by itself. Like, in, like for real, I think they pop the leg off, put it in the roaster and then they hand it to you. It's a turkey leg. That's Campbell's soup is really what it is. Uh, I had a friend who worked there. He said, that is exactly what that soup is, is camel soup. But the whole ticket's like 50 bucks. So you're there for the experience. So we're in this kingdom and we're cheering, 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 cheering and watching the knights fight and stuff. And it's so foreign. The idea of kings and kingdoms and knights and royalty and princes and princesses, all this stuff, so foreign to us. That we watch and we're intrigued. But I would say instead of intrigued, we're entertained by this idea. Then movies come out. You know, there's a new Robin Hood movie coming out uh, where there's kings and kingdoms and all stuff. And we're intrigued to the point of being entertained by this sort of stuff. And there's shows around it. There's all kinds of things around kings and kingdoms. In the scriptures, though, um, it actually, in the text we're going to jump into, it actually acts as if there are Christians who are merely entertained and intrigued by the talk of kings and kingdoms, but they don't participate. They're just intrigued, right? They're, that's as close as they get into their allegiance with the kingdom of God. Now, let me just tell you, the word kingdom literally means king's domain. So we're talking the domain where that king rules, okay? So when we say, or when Jesus says, and we repeat here, the kingdom of God is at hand, what we're saying is that there is a kingdom that God rules and he reigns. He has absolute domain in. This is what we're saying. That the kingdom of God is here at hand and moving in. So when Walter says there's zero doubt that the kingdom of God is at hand through the presence of God and miracles, those sorts of things, that's because when God's kingdom's at hand, things happen. It flips these kingdoms upside down. And, it, and when Annabeth's up here and she's praying, Lord, heal, bring healing to people, it's because it flips sickness upside down. The kingdom of God flips everything upside down because it's an upside down kingdom. You follow me? The kingdom of God is God's domain. It's where he operates. He's the king. We're the servants. The kingdom of this world is someone else's domain. Scripture tells us that Satan is the prince of the air, that Satan goes and roams about. And if you say, I don't believe in Satan, well, I would, I would encourage you to think if there's a God, ultimate good, is it too far-fetched to say there would be an enemy of God in the supernatural and the main enemy would be Satan? And that Satan operates in the kingdom of this world just like God operates in the kingdom of this world. And we as Christians have to be careful and we have to be aware and interpret, okay, what's going on here? Is the kingdom of God working or is this the kingdom of man? And one of the greatest things we have trouble doing is making that distinction because it's so easy to take a kingdom of man and give God's stamp of approval on it and say this because it's visible, right? It's visible. It's easy. So even as a young child, I remember, um, I remember every day I would see this 
we would stand up and we would look at the flag and I'd put my hand on my heart. Now, what I'm not saying is people shouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance. Just hear me clear. I remember as a young child going, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. That part always made me feel good. I'm thinking like, oh, well, God's in it somehow. So, and, and day and day and day and day and day, I would say the pledge, say the pledge. It's not that people, I'm not saying whether you should or shouldn't. What I'm saying is this. I don't think until an adult, I thought, what, I am actually pledging allegiance to a flag. My, my life, I'm told as a believer to pledge allegiance to the kingdom of God. And, and what do we do when the two conflict? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not just the kingdom of America. We can, talk, we can talk any country that you would go to. We can talk any system of the world. When the two conflict with each other, what do we do? How do we handle it? And although our lips may say, I pledge allegiance, what, what are we actually saying? So does allegiance mean I will support financially with my taxes? Probably not. Does allegiance mean no matter what I will die for? I don't know. But what I do know, allegiance in Revelation does mean I go to death, I follow the Lamb, I will live in the kingdom of God while I have to live within earthly structures and kingdoms. You follow me? I am a citizen in the kingdom of God. God's domain covers me. I'm a citizen while I am living within the world. This is why Jesus says, you are in the world. They are in the world. When he said a prayer over to the disciples, they are in the world, but they are not of the world. Keep them. Keep them this way. So what's interesting to think about is this idea that God if he has domain over our lives, first our hearts, and then the heart bleeds out into everything else, as he has dominion over our life. What happens when we, when we are conflicting with our allegiances? Right? What happens, you can talk politically, you can talk all kinds of things. What this is not, this is not a political sermon. So if you go, you just showed a flag, this is a political sermon. It's not a political sermon. This is very much a sermon straight out of Revelation that's saying there are times when believers are going to have conflicting views. Their politics will conflict. Their beliefs will conflict. The culture around them will conflict, okay? The culture around them. When those times come and your hand's over your heart, what words will come out of your mouth? Who will you pledge allegiance to when those times come? And by the way, you're probably aware that those times are at hand because they've always been at hand. Ever since the church um, gets in bed with the government, when that happens, so ever since Constantine and on, this has happened over and over again, whenever you would have the church, that the government use the church as leverage, okay, to get people on their side, what you'll find is compromise. Great, deep, hurtful compromise. In fact, uh, today uh, was Doubters Club. And it's, a, it's a conversation that Christian and atheists have, and one of the things that kept coming up was this time, and it keeps coming up, and I don't think it's going to go away, is why do so many people leverage God with their politics? Why do so many people do that? Why do so many people play the God card whenever they're trying to get us on their side? That's a legit question. 
Okay? So here, here's what I would say when it comes to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a totally different kingdom. Okay? And as you'll see, it wasn't just with Rome and Jerusalem. It is very much the continuing story. So if we think somehow as Western Americans, we've escaped this reality, we have not escaped this reality. If scripture is timeless and timely, then we are in a reality. It doesn't mean America's bad. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they're different. And when you have to choose between the two, you don't try to mold the kingdom of God into a kingdom of this world you pledge allegiance to Jesus, to the Lamb. And we've even talked about there's a picture of the Lamb leading an army on Mount Zion, and that picture is in the middle of other physical armies. So I think, um, I think one of the hardest things that we will learn together um, through Revelation is, is this. The best way to defeat the kingdom of God is to empower the church to rule the kingdom of the world for then it becomes the kingdom of the world. You follow me? The best way, now, can the kingdom of God be defeated? No. But I'm saying, let's be tongue-in-cheek for a second. The best way to defeat the kingdom of God is to empower the church to rule the kingdom of the world. By rule, I mean like power over, not serving under. By rule, I'm meaning you better or else. I mean, this is, this is the way. It's like we are trying to do everything we can to get our power from earthly authorities as opposed to trusting that Jesus is the one who has dominion over. So that's rule, to rule the kingdom of the world, for then it becomes the kingdom of the world. And, I, and I'll ask you honestly, have, have you ever seen this before? Have you ever seen, maybe your family has done this, they've abused the text of the Bible in order to get you to follow what they say. But when you take what they say and you compare it to what Jesus says, you go, but the, the two, and then you're going, yeah, they don't mix together. And it just feels really gross. It feels really bad. And if you've never experienced that, I promise you, your friends have experienced this. If you have a friend that doesn't follow Jesus, or maybe you're here and you don't follow Jesus, then, then I, I know you're, you have a heightened awareness of whenever the church compromises in order to gain power, and then that power doesn't look like Jesus anymore. Because Jesus' power looks very different. The lamb, the, the roar of the lamb is very different than the roar of the lion, so to speak. And the roar of the lamb is sacrifice for the other. That's what changes hearts. The roar of the lion is devour and build your kingdom. They're very different. They're very different. And this is what we find here. Uh, I, I remember being in, um, it was probably a year ago, a year and a half ago maybe, and we're talking about this. We're talking about, um, is actually a, a sermon called A King and a Kingdom. And we were just talking about the, the goal is not to go hide in caves and disassociate with America. This is just, you live on earth and any earthly kingdom will never be as good as the kingdom of heaven, okay? But we're talking about this and, and I remember someone came up to me and they said, well, surely we are the most blessed nation because we're the most prosperous. This is after a message. Okay? Now, again, I, I feel very passionate about this topic, and so it took everything in me to go, get out of the tree, you know, get out. But they, what they're saying was like, well, isn't, doesn't prosperity of a nation mean favor of God? And I would say that's one of the biggest lies throughout history. You'll see nations prosper and oppress those um, believers, true believers 
Does that mean favor of God? And if you think that, Revelation 17 and 18 will flip that upside down. Okay? So let's jump into that. Uh, let's jump into these crazy symbols. You'll have the text up there, and then I'll have it up here as well. This is Revelation chapter 17, going to verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to reference verse 18. Or chapter 18. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me, the, the bowls of judgment that uh, Becca spoke on last week, came to me and said, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. So hopefully you can see, we don't take this literally. I don't know how big of a person it would take to be seated on many, many, many oceans and lakes, but that's not the point. Okay, there's uh, waters would represent, obviously, what was talked about before, the evil and terror and, and now this, the great prostitute is, is sitting on that as if to rule with the waters. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. This is unfaithfulness. This is saying the kings of the world have been unfaithful to God. And this symbol, which we'll talk about who she represents in saying, this symbol has been unfaithful to God. And with, uh, with each other, by the way. So the kings and the great prostitute have committed unfaithfulness with each other when they're supposed to be faithful to God. And with the wine of, the, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Uh, wine would represent, uh, in, in this case, like death, persecution. This would be like uh, literally the blood of the martyrs, the people who have died at the hand of the oppressors. Think about the imagery. They're drunk on the blood of the people that they oppress. So it's saying they're out of their mind doing what they're doing. And the more they do it, the more they lose reason. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. A lot of commentators said this, the language used here is literally like feces and urine. It's, it's trying to show you uh, what they're feasting on is the most disgusting thing you can feast on. So I don't, I don't know how else to get that across other than to say, if it makes you want to throw up, that was the point of the text. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, Mother of Prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. That's what, what the wine, the crushing of the precious, beautiful martyrs, which is what the wine represents, okay? When I saw her, this is John talking. Now, watch, watch how interesting this is. I marveled greatly. Why would John marvel? But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. He's, so he's watching. He's watching this woman adorned in gold, okay, that looks beautiful on the outside, looks powerful, by the way, on the outside. And John's marveling, marveling. Almost every commentator will say the direct application is so clear. So many times people will look at churches or systems that have compromised to gain power, and they marvel. They marvel. They go, look at the giant building. Look at the beautiful structure. Look at the whatever you would fill in the blank with. And they marvel at it. And the angel says, hey, John, snap out. Why are you marveling at this? Why are you marveling at this? This was built on compromise. 
This was built on false power. This was built on not eternal trust in the lamb. This was built on trust in the beast and governments and systems that do not respect or represent Jesus. Why are you marveling at this? If you've ever walked into, um, if you ever walked into like a great big building or you've ever seen a really beautiful person, your initial reaction is to marvel, is to go, wow, this is your reaction. And what the angel is saying, in, your, in the spiritual realm, believers must be careful. It even got John, who's in the middle of this vision. It even got him. And, and the angel's going, hey, 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 be very careful. I need you to have a heightened awareness. This was built in a way that it shouldn't have been built. Okay? And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of, um, of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. Other people will do the same thing because it was and is not and is to come. Isn't that interesting? It was a certain way. I'm showing you it's not a certain way, but this will continue to happen. Let's keep reading. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains in which the woman is seated. Now, what we do know is it could have been talking specifically of mountaintops, but it's talking of power because people who are placed on mountains would be the authority. This is why when Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could command a mountain to be cast into the sea, and it'll be cast into the sea. He's saying that there are the systems of the world, the oppressive ways of humanity will not stand against those people of faith in the kingdom of God. They are also seven kings, five who have fallen, and it continues to give prophecy. Now, what we don't know, this is very confusing. We don't know if it's talking about literal kings. We don't know if it's talking about ones that have passed or ones that will come. But what we do know is it's talking about authorities and the way that this continues to happen. Let's go to the next text. Um, the 10 uh, horns that you saw are 10 kings and have yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, short time, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. So I want you to understand, when I'm sitting here saying there are authorities, there are spiritual dimensions that are trying to get a hold of physical authorities and powers in order to wield their power against people, right? You understand that? I'm saying that there are demonic influences is exactly what this is saying. They're actually, the beast is the one who's instructing and gaining power from the kings, right? The, the more and more the people of God don't stand up and say, "My, I am first and foremost a citizen in the domain of Jesus Christ. The more and more we don't do that, the more and more power goes to the beast because you have to have a first allegiance somewhere in the world. And well, by the way, we're going to talk about specifically as a person, how can you tell where your allegiance is? We'll talk about that in a second. They will make war on the lamb. This is what you, so just, it is impossible. It's impossible for neutral ground. It is one or the other. It's kingdom of God, kingdom of man. Again, not all kingdom of man is, is bad, but we are saying allegiance has to go somewhere. You have to have, and those who are not in allegiance with Christ will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. The lamb wins. All he does is win. If you've noticed that, the lamb is still winning. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. 
His domain is universal. His domain reaches the farthest parts of the universe. In fact, his domain is more powerful, more eternal, more stable than anything you can trust in. Just We just tend to trust in things that we see, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So here's the, here's the big question. How do I know the difference? And we're going to get real specific. So if you're tempted to go, yes, yes, like Jesus first, it's real easy to do that until we go real specific and we contrast uh, what was Jesus like and then what are some ways that our culture is influencing us. One of the best ways to know how we're starting to fall asleep spiritually speaking is to let another culture speak into it, right? So if you go on a missions trip and you were to ask, um, if you were to ask Christians in the Middle East, hey, will you, will you look at Christianity in America? I know that, that would be scary. If you, <laughs> if you look at Christianity in America, will you tell us kind of where we've fallen asleep? Where have we been, when, where have we wavered and compromised? What areas have we compromised in? They will tell you because the, the viewpoint of another culture on a culture is very, very telling. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to the ancient Near Eastern culture and we're going to look at, okay, where are areas that the kingdom of God is clear, hear me clearly, is clear, but that the culture of this world never actually um, is consistently participating in these areas for very few times. you make sense? Where is God clear and where are we facing compromise? So here's, here's the first one that I'll bring up. One of the things I see clear is when Jesus set aside the riches of his divine prerogatives and sided with the poor and oppressed. Can we throw that up here? And sided with the poor and oppressed. He was revolting against a culture that was privileged, that privileged a few by oppressing the masses. I see this clear. This is absolutely clear in Scripture. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he made himself a servant to serve us. When Jesus set aside the riches of divine prerogatives and sided with the poor and oppressed, how he entered the world. You remember how Jesus entered the world? doesn't have to be Christmas to talk about this, right? He, he entered the world as one that's poor and oppressed. As a refugee, he entered the world. And when he does this, he's revolting against a kingdom of this world. He's revolting against a culture that privileged a few by oppressing the masses. Okay? So... We are to be people that shun greed, we push it aside, and we're generous to people, and we care for the poor, and we care for the oppressed. This is how, I don't know how else to say it. this is actually how the kingdom of God should operate this way. One of the marks of the kingdom of God is we don't play favorites. People who look like you and act like you, it's always easier to talk to those people. It's always harder to talk and interact with people who are of a different social class than you and who have different needs than you. And, and you may even categorize them. You may say they're needy, right? You may make labels on people. Labels on people really make it hard for you to see them as a person, as just a human being. And I, I believe that Jesus was not impressed with earthly kings. I mean, imagine, literally imagine, the, the man is the king of kings, okay? So he's very secure in who he is. Every person he sees has equal worth. Everyone. There's not one person that would be of more worth than another person in Jesus' eyes. In fact, he's often impressed with the faith of people that weren't expected to have faith at all. 
He's with the lepers, touching the lepers. He's with the sick. He's letting, he's letting people touch him that wouldn't be allowed in society, that weren't supposed to interact with other people. He was revolting against the culture. Why did he do this? Well, because he knew, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. How else is there to live? How, how else do I live? This is, he is a citizen of the kingdom of God. There's no compromise there for him. You'll never see Jesus compromise here. But man, oh man, do we see time and time again compromise in our own lives when it comes to this. It's hard to deal with people who think different than us. But may you see, this is kind of where we fall asleep. Um, I, th- this week, I was meeting with someone here, and, uh, well, this will give away who it is, but it's okay. It, uh, she's a nurse. <laughs> Her name's Whitney. So uh, I was meeting with Whitney, and we were talking about what she does as a nurse. And I, in talking, I realize this being a nurse to all, we actually have a few nurses here, um, someone going to school to be a doctor, being, being in the medical field and serving the people who are in need and who are bleeding and who aren't able to help themselves. Kudos to you for doing that. You are, even though you get paid for it, you don't get paid enough for it. You are actively participating in revolting against what so many of us compromise on. Even if you're a teacher, if you're a teacher here, uh, you can teach anything and I just want to applaud you. You are a hero of heroes. You don't get paid enough to do what you do. You're actively with the people that some of their, some of their parents don't want to answer the phone calls and they don't want to see them after school. And uh, you show them love. There, you are being a parent to people who need parents and you're actively revolting against a culture that's telling you, you, you don't have to do this. You can climb the corporate ladder. You can do something else. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing what you do. This is clear to me that Jesus was doing this. Okay, let's go to the next one. When Jesus praised the faith of the Roman centurion and held up Samaritans as heroes in some of his illustrations, he was revolting against a culture that placed some above others on the basis of their race. He was actively revolting against racism. Galatians tells us there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, that in the kingdom of God, we are to be a unified people, right? That have nothing to do with racism. We actively fight against that injustice. And yet I would say time and time and time again, we see this acting out. We see this coming up. What we must do is not be a people who try to defend ourselves. We should try to be a people who lend a hand to the people that are being oppressed. Okay? Um, there is, I would say, within the kingdom of God, all prejudices are abolished. You hear me? All prejudices. Jesus shows this. I, I don't know. His illustrations flipped everything on, his, on their head. I mean, people hated him so much they wanted to kill him. I don't know how much more offensive you can get than this. And th- this is what the kingdom of God is very clear on. No racism. We're all one humanity under the kingdom of God. Then I would say the third one, I'm just listing seven, okay, that we can go on and on and on. The respectful way Jesus treated women, even women with disreputable histories revolting against a culture that tended to empower men and dehumanize women. This is, can you throw that one up here? This is very, very clear to me. 
how Jesus treated women. I, I know people will look at the Bible and they will say, the Bible treats women so poorly. I would encourage you to look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus does. That's why we say, hey, we love and serve a Jesus-looking God. Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The clearest revelation we have of God is Jesus Christ. That's the clearest revelation we have. So when we are reading Scripture, we're reading it knowing He has revealed Himself fully in Jesus Christ. We're not trying to say, how do we match all this up with Jesus? We're going, we know that Jesus is the revelation of God, and I read through that lens. That's how Jesus and His apostles interpreted the Old Testament, and that's how they looked to the future. He actively revolted against a culture that tended to empower men and dehumanize women. Uh, this week, well, I'll tell you this. Let me back up. Part of my normal prayer is, God, I want, I want people in the church that honestly are going to scare us. Okay? So, so as this prayer comes true, don't freak out. Okay? I'm saying, God, I, I, want, I want the drug dealers in the church. I want the prostitutes in the church. I want the people who are dealing with violence in the church. I want, I want, to, see, like, I want to see the saving power of Jesus interact with their life. I'm praying this. And this is what I felt. I felt like the Lord was telling me, hey, those people don't typically go to church. And I had to go to them. So I would tell you, you know, if that was, if this was God's technique, I don't think I have a better technique than God. So I, I felt like the Lord was saying, go to them. And so whenever, um, whenever we first started church, I used to drive Lyft. It's like Uber, if you're not familiar with it. You don't. You may not live in the city, but that's okay. We're really glad you're here. But Lyft is like Uber. You request a ride. So this last week, I started driving Lyft for like the first time in a really long time. And I was really interested, what, what type of people am I going to interact with? And one, I, I pulled up and a girl gets in the car. You can tell she's dressed different. Um, and I say, I always ask, where are we going? I just want to know, am I looking for a building or am I looking for a house? And she said, I'm going to work. And I said, where do you work? She said, you'll see when I get there. And she's just very, very ashamed. She's a stripper going to work that day. And I can't, I can't read this and say this doesn't happen anymore. I mean, here I am taking someone who doesn't have, she doesn't feel like she has worth. We get in conversation about God and she's very, very timid right? To talk about God or where she's going. Because of this, because this stuff happens and Jesus says, I, I want to give worth to the women in the world. And when culture will objectify, Jesus will not. And, and so the church lives differently. Let's go to the next one. The dignifying way Jesus interacted with beggars and others on the fringe of society revolted against a culture that ascribed worth to people based on their class, wealth, and power. Okay? Based on their class, wealth, and power. Uh, I'm going to tell you another Lyft story. You ready? I actually have, I just have them in my phone, like the day, and then I just list off I don't, I don't put their names. I'm not a creeper. I'm just saying these are the people that I pray, God, I don't know. I don't know how to get them in the doors of the church, but I know we can go to them. Like all, all of you who are active, you have roommates and you're working, you're brushing shoulders with people that I just think that, that they will experience the presence of God and the teaching of Scripture in a church setting. I believe that, but I also believe we must go to them. I think that was God's model. So uh, I'll tell you this. I was driving another guy who said, 
I pick him up, and he's, he's going two minutes away from one bar to the next. And in two minutes, maybe four, I actually think it said four minutes, but I got there in two. In, in four to two, two to four minutes, he says, I said, hey, what's going on? How's your night going? Which is a pretty standard question. And he said, horrible. I got a divorce. My wife has custody of the kids. And the pharmacy I worked at is getting shut down. I'm being shipped to Europe. Right? I'm going, oh my goodness. I, I should not have taken this ride. I should have somehow known. And I said, well, what are you doing tonight? And he said, I'm just going drinking. I don't know what else to do. I mean, this is what he tells me. I don't know what else to do. So I I actually know in this moment, I know what the Lord is asking me to do. So we arrive, I turn off the app. I said, would you like someone to sit with you so you're not alone? And he said, well, you got to work. And I said, no, I just, what I wanted to say is I just do this to meet people like you and tell you about Jesus, you know? (laughs) But I didn't say that. I didn't say that to him. I just said, no, I can turn off the app. It's fine. It's fine. So I sit in the bar with him and we just talk. Now, I don't know, did I deliver him from what he was experiencing, his relationship with his wife? No. Did I save his marriage? Did I reunite him with his kids? No, not at all. Did I? No, but I, I do know that typically people don't want to associate with people who are just going to get drunk all night. And, and I can't talk about this if I'm not going to be willing to like, just be there with him. And we're a people that we don't say, I got to fix you. I don't, I don't have to fix you. But man, I definitely will be with you. I don't actually know how to fix you. That's not my job because I'm pretty broken too. But I'll be with you, right? I don't care if you're wealthy or not wealthy. You have eternal worth. Let's continue. Along the same lines, when Jesus ate and fellowshiped with the tax collectors and prostitutes, he was revolting against a culture and religious system that judged some worse sinners than others based on self-serving, a sliding sin scale. I didn't know how else to put that. Sliding, you understand what I'm saying? That sin's not that bad. Well, that sin's really bad. So I, I figure I'm going to tell you a lot of lift stories tonight. Um, the first ride I got on Monday, I... You, so you can start to see God's answering my prayer. I'm saying, God, I just, I want to see these people experience you. The first ride I get is this guy who's a drug dealer. How do I know he's a drug dealer? Because he told me he's a drug dealer, okay? I don't feel like you give that information if that's not what you're doing, okay? He gets in the car. He has a backpack full of drugs. Sunglasses on, hoodie on, and smells like weed. In fact, as I pull up, he's like, you know, he gets in the car. I'm like, no one wants to ride my car anymore. But the, the smell got out quick. So he sits in the back, and the name on the app is Free, F-R-E-E, which is really ironic to someone who would be, you know, in bondage of drugs. And he opens his bag, and he's going through his drugs. He's getting ready for the deal. I'm not kidding. He's pulling some of them out, and he's shifting through them. And I'm going, you know what? Um... I don't think I can rate this as worse than my brokenness. I actually think, and in that moment, I'm reminded of 1 Timothy where Paul says, I am the worst of sinners, right? And he, he gets out of the car and I just break. I can't hold it together. I, I realize God's answering the prayer of the church. These, I just want to get to know these people. Now, did I fix him? No, I didn't fix him. Did I deliver him from drugs? I didn't deliver him from drugs. I didn't touch the backpack, okay? There's no trace in my car. I didn't, 
But I prayed that his name was a prophecy over his life and he would be free one day. I prayed for that. I prayed he wouldn't be ashamed of his life. And he went to the shady motel. I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I knew uh, I can't rate his sin worse than mine. No, we're all sinners. I think that's clear in the kingdom. And I think the cultures and kingdoms of the world will want to tip you towards the righteousness that you can handle and the sins that you hide. And God says in the kingdom of God, there's, we don't play that game. Okay. Here's the next one. When Jesus came upon spiritually oppressed people, he delivered them. And whenever he confronted people with physical afflictions, he often healed them. And I, just, I would just put, present this to the church. Do we pray and believe that God still does, does this? Do we pray and believe that God still heals people? Now, I wish I could say I was driving Lyft and this, this person like, didn't have an arm and then an arm came out. I wish I could tell you that story and show you before and after pictures. I can't, but I actually believe one day I will be able to share a story like this, that, hey, I was driving people and, uh, and they're sick, and I asked if I could pray for them, and the presence of God just healed. I just believed that because the kingdom of God, God's domain, this is how we must operate. It's how we have to operate. We don't, we don't, we're not shy about this. We believe in this stuff. So there's going to be a time of prayer after this where we would move to the side because we believe if God is the ruler and he has domain, then like in his kingdom, he heals and brings deliverances. We believe this stuff. This is what he does in his kingdom. But the kingdom of the world is going to say, no, no, there's no such thing as supernatural. If you're sick, you're sick. And the only doctor that you can find is not supernatural. You've got to find it. And I'm saying, I, I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for medicine. But I also believe God can heal. I also believe God can deliver. I believe that. And then here's the last one. When Jesus refused to use violence to protect himself against enemies, choosing instead to manifest God's love by allowing them to torture and kill him. He was revolting against a culture and an entire world system that encourages people to use violence when it's in their self-interest to do so. The way kingdoms of the world grow is through violence, gaining more land, right? manipulation of those sorts of things. The way the kingdom of God grows is through self-sacrificial love. You cannot give yourself, now you should have boundaries, you should be careful, but I just want to say this, I'm going to go, I'm going to go hard on this side real quick. You cannot give yourself enough to serve the world. Um, it, you will see more and more, the more you increase your capacity to serve and give yourself away, the more you see transformation happen in people's lives. The, um, Jesus was being asked, we've talked about this here, he's being asked by his disciples, can I sit at the right hand? And even the moms, can I sit at the right hand or the left hand whenever you are in glory? And he said, you don't know what you're asked. I came to serve and not be served, and you can't be greater than your master, which means the best you can ever be in the kingdom of God is a servant to God and people. This is the best you can ever be. This is, this is like the A-team, okay? They're all servants. They all have towels. Love has a towel wrapped around its waist. This is like the A-team. In the kingdom of the world, it's like, no, 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 get power, gain power, and use power over people. And it's going to be bloody by the end of your life. But man, if you made it and you climbed the corporate ladder, and you're, it's the kingdom of the world. But the Lamb's Way say, says God is in charge of promotions. God is the one who elevates kings and authorities, and he's the one who gives you jobs and takes it. God does this. This is what Isaiah tells us. God does this. Kingdom of God has to take priority. These are the seven areas as I was praying that I think we've compromised as a big C church the most on in these seven areas. 
And I, we look to the culture of Jesus and say, where are we compromising? This is what I think he tells us. So, uh, Jenna, can you come up? We're going to have a time of response. Here's how we'll respond. Just to let you know, after we respond, I know it's going to sound weird saying, but I want to say that after we respond, we're going to have a community dinner that I would encourage you to stick around and eat. But can you take this moment to feed your soul? Let the Holy Spirit minister. Let the Word feed you. So what we're told in Hebrews, let the Word feed you. So thank you. Um, here, let's just throw the first question up, and uh, this will be how we respond. Can you stand? Can we stand together? We're going to move to the side. You can respond in worship, take communion, or move to the side. I would ask that we be honest, and I would ask that we don't try, actually, that we have nothing to do with the beast and nothing to do with riding on the beast. And I, I want to tell you this at the very end of everything. If you wonder who the prostitute is, just like Revelation, there are so many commentaries who I think the prostitute is, and actually the NCC churches as we're preaching through this thing, and what we found in most commentaries, the prostitute is Jerusalem, the one who should have been faithful to God and has compromised and taken on the power of the world in order to win. And the only way to win is the power of the Lamb. What an amazing imagery to say it's so easy for the church to compromise because we want to live in the power of the culture instead of letting the kingdom do its work through us. Okay, so do you find yourself, um, you know what, let's move this because we can't even see Jenna. So can we skip this to the side? There we go. Yeah, you got it. Sorry about that. We're not trying to like hide you or anything. Do you find yourself picking and choosing the rules for work, friends, and family? So what I'm asking here is do you find yourself going, oh, I really like the love my enemies thing. Like, I'm in. I pray for my enemies. And, and maybe it's because you haven't had an enemy yet. But if that's, that's the case, it gets harder and harder, believe me. So um, if you go, I love my enemies thing. And, and let me just confession as your pastor. One of the reasons I lean into this so hard is for me, that is one of the hardest truths of Scripture, is to love my enemies. So if that comes easy to you, kudos to you. But then there's a bunch of other stuff we talked about that may be really hard. Maybe you say, I don't know. I don't even know how to invite a neighbor over to my house because they're so different than me. I don't know how to stop on the side of the street and have a meal with a homeless person. I don't know how to do that. I am scared to do that. And, and you would say, and maybe you're here and you say, I'm racist or I'm sexist or I'm whatever it would be. Well, you would find that you're picking and choosing. I would say that in a minute you move to the side and you can be as honest as you want to be but just to say, hey, I need to be consistent in my kingdom living. I need, I need, I need consistency. Will you pray for me that the dominion of God will reign over my life? Let's go to the next one. Are you tired of the awe and wonder that religious institutions gain from others? Maybe you're here and, and you're incredibly skeptic about, uh, skeptical about the whole church thing. And you say, I don't even know why people do this. And so many people are in awe and wonder. And I'm sitting back going, no, I can see right through the whole thing. I can see right through. I can, I, I, it just makes me mad. Um, would you seek prayer? And to say, I, I would actually tell you, Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to start a revolt. It's, a, it's his kingdom against all other kingdoms. It's, it's a revolution. And somewhere along the way, all of us have messed that up. But if this is you, um, be, would you be honest enough to move to the side and to seek prayer for that? And here's the last one. 
Would you like to make Jesus the king of your heart? And if Jesus has never been the king of your heart, your kingdom is whatever best fits you. And it's changing all the time. So you're actually, you're, you don't know, like what, I don't know what kingdom to fit into. I like the way this person thinks and I want them to be my king, but I like the way that she thinks and I want her to be my king. And relationships, you're like, I'll let the other person be my king or my queen. But then whenever it goes bad, you go to something else and you're like, I just, I need a consistent, good king. That's Jesus that you would seek prayer. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to move to the side. You can take communion to remember the sacrifice of the lamb. You can worship. You move to the side for prayer. Prayer team, um, just have your eyes open for people who would seek prayer. And I, I just want you, as a church, let's be honest. So let me pray over us. So God, may this prayer actually trigger us into authenticity. This kingdom living doesn't work if we don't pursue you. This is a time to pursue you. So God, I just pray over all of us. Help our hearts to be more committed to the kingdom of God than any other kingdom. Forgive us. May we stay uncomfortable until we receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray for that, God. God, I even pray that those who are sick would seek prayer. They would say, I, I believe the kingdom of God's at hand. Pray for me that I receive healing tonight. But we lean into that, Lord. We trust you. You're a good king who's on the throne, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will trust that statement tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment, move to the side for prayer. You can take communion. Let's worship.